Welcome, Cape Christian. How y'all doing this morning? All right. I am pumped. We get to t- what we're going to get to talk about today. I get to be part of this Who Is This Man series. And I am so excited because Jesus was a revolutionary. He was exciting. He was captivating. And if you're a Christian in the house and you just love Jesus, could you just give it up for Jesus this morning? Come on now. Yeah. Jesus. He is incredible. Um, Before we get to all the awesome Jesus stuff, I want to talk to us about a human condition that's really been happening. Um, It's it's really been a tale as old as time, if you know what I mean. A tale as old as time. A song as old as tune. No, we're not talking about Beauty and the Beast today. Okay. (laughs) But this is a tale as old as time. It's been a human condition for a long, long, long time. And researchers actually did a research project on this to find out. And what they did, they took 16 boys that looked like Dorito chips, apparently, and they threw them out into the playground. And they just said, go ahead and play. And so you have boys going down the slides, playing on the monkey bars until the millennials came down and just took them down because they're too dangerous. And they said, get out here and just play and have fun. Um, and enjoy yourselves. And then after a while, they said, what if we took the 16 boys and broke them into two groups, group A and group B, represented as X's and O's. And so they said, what if we did two different groups and put them in two different rooms? And then what would happen if we appointed each group a leader and we gave uh, group A, they got Adam, and group B, they got Brad. Thanks a lot, Brad. And then uh, I don't know why Brad is one of those. Uh, if your name is Brad, I'm so sorry. But that's, this name is so, you know, like classic Brad. You know, it just rolls off the tongue. Okay. Anyway, group A, group B, you got Adam, you got Brad. And then what they did was they gave Adam $100 and they gave Brad $100. And they told Adam and Brad, here's what you're going to do. You each get $100 and you can't give it to each other and you can't keep it for yourself. But they took the boys, all 16, they threw them back out into the playground And now they're all back out. They've been reformed and transformed from Dorito chips to X's and O's now. They're out here. Adam and Brad have $100. They can't keep it for themselves. They can't give it to each other. But they have to give the money away. That's the only rule. Now, who do you think Adam gave his money to and who do you think Brad gave his money to? They gave their money to their own group. Adam gave his money to group A, and Brad gave his money to group B. Now, what's interesting is that researchers actually thought in this, in this project, uh, when they were testing it out, they actually thought they were going to have to add some antagonism, or they were going to have to add some competition before Adam came out and just gave it to his group, and Brad came out and just gave it to his group. But what instead happened was right off the bat, with no, competi- with no competition added in, with no competition, Context. They didn't say group B's bad and you're group A and you got to win this and you got to fight for this. They gave no context, just threw them out there and instantly Adam gave to his group and Brad gave to his group. This is the human condition. This human condition that we mentally, automatically, we're born into these groups that we are somehow assigned by society. And we think this is my group and that's their group. And therefore, I'll give to my group and not your group. John Ortberg says it this way. We human beings are side takers. We all tend to divide the human race into us versus them. This happens for religious reasons, but can also happen because of ethnicity, culture, and language. Two of the most powerful words in the human race are us and them. 
If someone is in my group, I tend to magnify their good qualities and overlook their negative qualities. If somebody's in the out group, I look for the bad and overlook the good. I look at each member of us as a unique individual, and I tend to look at everybody who is one of them as all alike. Now, you don't have to go any further than sports. You can see, think Yankees, Red Sox, and you see this. You can think Michigan and Ohio State. See, I'm from Michigan, right? I'm going to go blue. Let's go. Yeah, we're going to party after this, by the way. Notre Dame, right? Let's go. Okay, sorry. I had to get that out of my system. But we are, I'm a Michigan fan. It's like, I know, right? As Michigan fans, like, we are sanctified. We are holy. We are the chosen football program to bring Jesus down to earth. And the team below, they're below us for a reason. They come from Hades, people. They're from Ohio. You know what I'm saying? Like... (laughs) Right? Like, what did I just I assimilated. My group is fully good, and their group is fully bad. And we kid, but, like, we could see, we see it in, in Nike versus Adidas. We see it in Apple versus Android. I'm sorry, but us Apple users, we know we're just intellectually superior. And the, <laughs> and the Android users, I'm sorry you got the leftovers. I'm sorry. I apologize. I mean, it's just what happened. Right? We, we kid, we kid, but this is all over the world. Everything... Everything we see, and we we could go into further depth on this, but it becomes us versus them. And we include us as the good group and them as the bad group or the outcast or the outsider. And this has been going on not just in sports or, or, or phones or technology, but this has been going on in serious levels for generations, for millennia, since the human beings, uh, were, were, since human beings came onto earth. And and Jesus saw the same situation in his day. In time, Jesus dealt with this us versus them conversation, and he had a very different way of dealing with with this conversation than anyone else in his time. And that's what I'm so excited to dive into today. What you have to understand uh, about Jesus is that in Jesus' day, this us versus them, this you're on the other side or I'm on my side or this is the good side and that's the bad side, it wasn't just uh, some nebulous, invisible line. There was actually a very real dividing line in Jesus' day. And we're going to throw up this map and you're going to see this is right here. This is actually the Sea of Galilee. And then you have the Jordan River coming down and you have... Uh, and you have the, the Dead Sea down here. And this is the kingdom of Israel, and this is the other side. This is everything else. This is everyone else. This is the seven nations of Canaan. This represented, this represented uh, pain. This represented captivity. You know, there's Egypt down here. So there's Egypt down here somewhere. And then they came up here and they, they sat in here for 40 years of captivity. There's bondage. There's slavery. This was traveling tabernacle. Had to, had to set up the tent, put God, get God all set up, and then tear it all back down and then bring it over. And then there's 40 years of waiting. And this, this is all the shame. And this is all the bondage. And this is what represents. And this represents the promise. This side is, this is the kingdom. This is the promised land. This is purpose. This is destiny. This is life. This is hope. This right here, Jerusalem, no more traveling God. This is where God lives. And we don't go over to the other side. The other side represents pain. The only time we go over to that side is if our military is strong enough to try to conquer that side. And the only time they come over to our side is if their military is strong enough and they're trying to conquer our side. You get the picture. So Jesus uh, actually has been doing the majority. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's doing the majority uh, of his ministry on his side. 
on the good side, on the right side, the Michigan side, the Apple side. He's been doing most of his ministry right here. And he's teaching and he's preaching. And to be honest, he's knocking you out of the park. I mean, he's throwing softballs up to himself and just knocking it out. It's amazing. I mean, he's healing, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's prophesying. He's taking on people of, that have religious power. He's taking on people with political power. The disciples are like, oh, yeah. Like, it's about to go down, everybody. Other side, better get ready. We coming, Notre Dame. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they are pumped. They're excited. They're ready to go. They're ready to attack. And they've got somebody on their side who has power. They've got somebody on their side who has authority. They've got somebody on their side who can heal the sick. They got somebody on their side that can feed the thousands. They got somebody on their side that can walk on water. They're like, yeah, it's about to go down, other side. And then Jesus has the craziest in the disciples' mindset, maybe the worst idea of his life. And they're right up here in the Sea of Galilee, and they're doing ministry. And then in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, That day when evening came, Jesus, no good ideas come at night. All right? <laughs> Let's rest on this one. We'll come back tomorrow morning. But that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. If I'm a disciple, I'm thinking one of two things. Either one, I'm like, Jesus, something hit you in the head this morning. Or I'm thinking, oh, yeah, we're going over to the other side. We're going to show them what's up. Let's go. You're going to finally use your power, your authority from heaven. You're going to use it for something good. Stop healing these people. Let's go take some people down. That's what they're thinking. Jesus ends up getting over to this. So we can throw the map back up. He crosses over from here, over to here to a region. Uh, it's called Decapolis, but it's a region of Bethsaida. And, and he gets into the region of Decapolis. And something incredible happens that maybe never happened before in Jesus' day. Nobody is there to greet him. Could you imagine, just, just put yourself in the story for a moment. Just put yourself in it for a moment. Think, think through it on, on that level. Think through that, that you are hearing about this man over here that is healing people. He's restoring people. He's prophesying. They're saying he has the words of life, and he comes over to your side. What would we do? I don't know what I'd do, but if it was like Jesus is showing up to Cape Coral, I'm, like, I'm not like, hey, everybody, let's get to Tampa. Quick, get out. Somebody's coming that can heal stuff. Let's go. Get out of here. Nobody go. No, no, no. What do we do? We bring your, bring your daughter, bring your son, bring your, bring, bring your wife, bring, bring your mother, bring your father, bring your aunt, bring your uncle. Like Everybody going to get healed up in here. Right? But for some reason, nobody's there to greet him. Why? Because here's the thing. Them versus us didn't just stand in Israel. It was also on this side of the aisle. This side of the aisle was like, no, you are them and we are us. We're on the inside and you're on the outside. And nobody from your side comes to our side and gets a warm greeting. The only person there to greet Jesus, the only person there is an outsider from his own side. He's such an outsider that he's probably known as the most dangerous man in his town. He's so dangerous that they would drag him out near the sea and they would tie him up and they tied him up multiple times and it says he was demon possessed and so he would literally rip out of the ropes multiple times he'd rip out 
And finally, instead of just going back to the town like he tried repeatedly a few times, instead he just quit. He said, fine, I'll just live out here. And Jesus shows up and he heals that man. And he casts the demons out and he has them going to pigs and the pigs run into the sea. And there's a bunch of context and beautiful stuff in that, but we don't have time for it today. And then this man is healed and he's whole. And he goes and he tells this town, he's like, yo, this, this, this man, this guy just healed me. And you know what the town people, again, right? Put yourself, right? What would we do? Oh, get my mother, get my son, get my daughter, get my, get my aunt, get my uncle, get everybody. Let's go. Somebody's healing. But instead they show up. They show up. And you know what it says? They, they say this to Jesus. It says that they were afraid and they begged Jesus to leave. Sometimes the other side has the healing that you so desperately need. But you're not willing to see it from their point of view. Because there's a differing belief because they're from the other side. You're missing out on the healing that's been promised to you. They beg Jesus to leave. Jesus says, okay, I will. Jesus takes him for it. He says, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'll bounce. This man from Decapolis runs up to him and goes, Jesus, you healed me. I want to follow you. And it's maybe one of the few times in Scripture uh, where because Jesus is always going, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. Drop all you have, follow me. And it's maybe one of the few times in Scripture where Jesus actually tells the man, no, you can't follow me. He said, why? Why can't I follow you? He said, I need you to go back. I need you to tell your people that if they clean everything up, if they get right, if they repent, if they turn from their ways, if they, if they get perfectly in line, that maybe I'll come back and, and free them. Nope. Now, Jesus looks at the man and says, go tell your people in Decapolis what God has done for you and how Specifically, he says, how he has shown mercy on you. And Jesus puts this mission in this man's hand that a few moments ago was demon-possessed. And now he holds the mission of not going and telling everybody, you got to be perfect. No, no, He goes and tells the people a story that somebody on this side of the aisle is something life-giving for us. He's not here to harm us. I get it. You were afraid because you thought he was going to come try to conquer us because everybody else that's come from this side has come over to conquer us, has come over to take our land, has come over to steal from us, has come over to bargain with us. But this man came over and he doesn't want any of that. He just came to give us life. He just came to give us purpose. He just came to give us hope. He just came to give us destiny. He just came to give us healing. So he sends the man away. So the man goes down to Decapolis and he begins to tell all of his people. This is a message of promise, a message of love, a message of compassion. In the meantime, Jesus goes back across the Sea of Galilee, back to the good side. He's back in Michigan now, if you're tracking with me. He's back, to the, he's back to the good side. The disciples are like, oh, yeah, now we're doing it again. I'm, I'm so pumped. We're on the good side now. 
And Jesus does a few more miracles, and we know them. We know some of these stories because they're miracles. It's so important, by the way, when we read, when we read the Bible, when we read these books, we, we break them into chapters and verses, but these books were not written in chapters and verses. They were written as a whole. And so there are beautiful things and takeaways from these little miracles or these amazing miracles Jesus did, whether it's feeding the 5,000 or Jesus walking on water. But Jesus the whole time is actually backing up. He's going, if we could take a 30,000-foot view, I'm doing something and I'm saying something more powerful. And, and if I could pause for a moment, if, if we could understand this, Peter in, in John chapter 6 actually gets asked, there's a bunch of disciples that are leaving Jesus, and Jesus looks at the disciples and says, hey, what about you? In other words, he says, are you going to leave me too? And can I tell you what Peter, how Peter answered? Because this, this astounds me. Peter is with Jesus. He's seeing miracles happen on the daily. He's seeing the eye, uh, blind people seeing. He's seeing Jesus walk on water. He's seeing feeding of the thousands. And Peter doesn't say, he says, where else would I go, Jesus? Where else would we go? And then his next line, he gives the reason why. Why can't we go anywhere else? In, in my opinion, it would be, why, Jesus, I can't go anywhere else. Nobody else is making the blind see. Nobody else is walking on water. Peter doesn't answer like that. Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, you're preaching. <laughs> you're teaching us. You're talking about something that for all of mankind up until this moment in time, nobody's talked like this, Jesus. Nobody's taught us to love people like this. Nobody's taught us to have compassion like this. Nobody's taught us to have, to have hope and destiny and purpose like this, for not just for ourselves, but for somebody on the other side. Jesus, where else could I go? Nobody has this. I've seen other sorcerers. I've seen other people do mind tricks. I've seen other people do things, but nobody has spoken of what you've spoken of and then had power behind it. It's incredibly beautiful, and this is what Jesus is doing. By the way, we're tracking through the book of Mark. This is all Mark 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. You can read it for yourself later, but Jesus isn't just walking on water and feeding the thousands. He's having a bigger, greater conversation. So he crosses the boat, and he begins to feed what we know is feeding the 5,000, it was very much more like 15 to 17,000 because tragically they didn't count women and children in that day. So he feeds the 5,000 and says there was 12 basketfuls left over. You want to know why Mark recorded the fact that there was 12 basketfuls left over? Why was that important to Mark? Do you understand how many tribes there were in Israel? 12. Jesus was saying something. He not only fed 15 to 17,000 people, and again, the disciples, I can just picture us, if we put ourselves in the story, we're getting pumped, we're getting excited. This dude has so much power. He just fed us all, and there's 12 basketfuls left over. How many 12? How many 12? Why? Each, each basket represented one tribe of Israel. Is saying, there is more than enough for all of Israel. I've got you, and I've got you. This was like Jesus' Oprah Winfrey moment. Yeah, and you got one, and you get one, and you get one. Everybody gets one. Everybody's in. On our side. Everybody, all 12 tribes of Israel get to have it. You all get a piece of it. Come on, you all have this hope. You all get this on our side. Yeah, this is awesome. As soon as he's done feeding the 5,000, Jesus says, hey, guys, let's go back to the other side. They're like, Jesus. Dude, we, you said you were here to feed us, our people. We 
we've been waiting for this Messiah. We've been waiting for this for us. Stop going over here. Okay, okay, I get it, though. If they reject you one more time, you're going to call hell and brimstone down on them. Let's go, okay. I can get with it. They cross back over to the other side. You know what Jesus has met with this time? Does anybody know? Jesus has met with the multitudes. Jesus is met by crowds. There are crowds of people, and it says they bring their daughter, they bring their son, they bring their wife, they bring their husband, they bring their uncle, they bring their aunt, they bring their grandma and their grandpa, and they're like, Jesus, Jesus is healing everybody up in here. Somebody got that. Jesus is healing everybody. Isn't it incredible what a message of compassion will do? Isn't it incredible what a message of grace and hope and purpose and life and life abundantly? One man, one man, one man changed. One man has a message of grace and compassion and life and purpose and hope and destiny, and he goes and spreads it around. And instead of Jesus being greeted by nobody, Jesus, Jesus is greeted by everybody. It's incredible when our message will change what can happen. Then it comes to this verse, and it says Jesus had compassion on them because they'd been following for three days, and they hadn't eaten anything. So he decides we need to feed them. And this time it's 4,000 men, probably about 10 to 12,000 people. And he sits them down, and Jesus does the same thing. There's five loaves of bread this time, and he feeds, five, and he feeds 10 to 12,000 people. And this time... You know how many baskets are left over? It says the people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Seven basketfuls. Go back to the map, please. See, on this side, you have the kingdom of Israel. And there's 12 tribes of Israel that represented the kingdom of Israel. On this side, you had the nations of Canaan. You know how many nations there were? There were seven nations. Seven nations of Canaan. You want to know what Jesus was saying over Mark 4, Mark 4, Mark 5, Mark 6, Mark 7, Mark 8? And it's pretty explicit. There is no way to miss it. I mean, there is because we miss it, but that's because we're human and we're kind of dumb sometimes. <laughs> but that's on us, not on him. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He was saying the whole time, there is no side. I've got more than enough for the 12 tribes of Israel. And yes, that should pump you up. I am here for you. And I've got more than enough for the seven nations of Canaan. And that should pump you up. I've got hope. I've got purpose. I've got life. I've got destiny. And I've got it for you. And I've got it for them. There is no them and us. There is only me and you. And you've been on the wrong side of my You've been on the wrong side of me for all of humanity. But all I've been trying to do my entire, your entire existence is to make it so that you are on my side. We have a God who literally came down for, for, can, can I, of course I can. In Genesis, we were, we were created. We were created in Genesis 2. We were created one with the father. 
We were created one with God. We were created one with ourselves. We were created one with each other. There is no talk of quarreling or dispute. Cain and Abel hadn't killed each other yet, like they weren't at each other's throats. Adam and Eve weren't arguing other than the fact that Adam liked mesquite barbecue chips and and Eve liked sour cream and onion. Other than that, they were good. Like everything was good. They were at one with each other. They were at one with with, with themselves. They were at one with with the world around them, and they were at one with God. And one of the, the greatest things that happened when Satan interjected himself into the situation is we were separated from God. And so often we read the Bible where we, we snap it down to four thoughts. It's like, oh, creation, then there was fall, then Jesus came and there was redemption, and then there was restoration. But what we miss is there's 1,033 pages in there where there is a God in heaven that is just doing everything he can to reconcile this separation that happened from human beings and him. And all he's trying to do is teach us, hey, be one with each other. What were the Ten Commands about? The Ten Commands were about don't kill each other because that's not loving each other. That was it. He was literally just trying to like, hey, let me be one with you and let me try to figure out however, whatever way to do that that works for y'all. And then let me be one with each other because this is the way you should live. There's 1,033 pages where God is pursuing human beings to be one again, to be one with them again, so that there is no separation. And then Jesus Christ shows up, the very God. And you know what he's preaching? He's preaching the same thing. He's going, get this picture. Stop separating. Stop. I've got food for you. I've got food for you. I've got life for you. I've got life for you. I've got hope for you. I've got hope for you. I've got peace for them. I've got peace for them. I've got it for everybody. I've got more than enough to go around. There's going to be leftovers. Come on. Can I tell you one of the most tragic pieces of the story? They get on the boat. It's Mark chapter 8. The disciples have one piece of bread. Can I, can I just guess with you this morning on why they only have one piece of bread? Because so many of us do it in this room. Jesus is saying, I've got life for you and I've got life for them. And they had five basketfuls. And somehow they end up on the boat with one piece of bread. Why? Maybe they're rejecting. God, we don't want the leftovers for them. God, we don't want what you're trying to tell us. And Jesus literally sees it and says, do you know what he tells him? He says, be careful of the yeast of Herod and the yeast of the Pharisees. He said, be careful of what... Herod eats and what the Pharisees eat. Be careful of what they feed off of. And they literally think to themselves, you can read it in Mark 8, they go, oh, it's because we only grabbed one piece of bread. Yeah, it probably was. But Jesus is like, are you still not understanding? It's not about the bread. It's about the fact that you're rejecting my people. You're rejecting them. And the yeast of Herod and the yeast of the Pharisees is not about a person and a people group. It's about the fact that Herod had a political spirit and the Pharisees had a religious spirit. 
And he was saying when you get all political about it and when you get all religious about it, you will continuously make up lines that I never drew. This whole gospel thing is for everybody. It's for Republicans. It's for Democrats. It's for Americans. It's for terrorists. It's for your homosexual neighbor. It's for everybody. It's for Kanye West. It's for Donald Trump. It's for Hillary Clinton. It's for everybody. Long before they were a president running for an election, there were a boy named Donald and Jesus Christ loved him. Long before she was a girl that ran, she was a girl named Hillary and Jesus loves her and he wants her and he wants Kanye. And he loves him and it's for him. And so often we get caught up in this religious political spirit. And it should break our hearts because the one thing Jesus came down to do is say, I have a mission. I have a, I have, I have a, I have a, a message. And it's not a message of more lines. It's a message of tearing down lines. And Jesus hung himself up on a cross. And if you don't remember, he said these words, it is finished. And when he said it, there was a, there was a, there was a, a veil at a, at a religious temple. And it literally split from top all the way down to the bottom. And what he was clearly and explicitly saying is there are no longer lies. This gospel is for everybody. To the Christians who are listening, I want to ask us a question. What's it going to take for us to get it in our hearts? Not just another nice message with a nice map. But for too long, we have been bearers of separating. We have been bringers of division. And it is the literal antithesis of who Jesus Christ was. Jesus Christ was revolutionary because he brought a message that nobody heard before. Everybody had size. Everybody had us in them. Everybody. And so it's something the human condition has dealt with then and we deal with now. But as Christians, as Christ followers, we are the ones who have to bring hope. We have to bring life and it's for them and it's for us and it's for the party that you disagree with. And it's okay, you can disagree with them disagree with their belief, but love the human being. Serve the human being. Fight for the human being. If we believe that Jesus would show up on the right or the left, we are way wrong. Jesus wouldn't show up on one side or the other because Jesus isn't on one side. The only side Jesus has chosen to be on since the beginning of time is the human side. The only entities Jesus has consistently been against is powers and principalities of hate and division. And the reality is that both of these principalities maintain firm grasp when we line up behind one side and begin to create an us versus them mentality. 
These are the things Jesus hates because they divide us. And he knows our power is found in our unity within one another and our weakness is revealed in division. See, you can't hate them and love what Jesus stands for simply because them is who Jesus died for. Instead, we can simply come against hate and division and first, the hate and division within our own hearts. You can stand with me this morning. The question I have for you this morning is who in your life is on the outside? Who is God calling you to go to the other side for? When Jesus showed up, nobody was there to greet him. When you show up, when you go to the other side, there might be, there, there might be nobody there to greet you. They might send you their craziest person like they did Jesus. They might even beg you to leave. Can I plead with you? Love them and go back. Love them and go back. Love them and go back. Preach a message of mercy. Show them mercy. Show them compassion. Show them love. Show them unity. And then go back. To the outsiders listening, to those of you who have felt like you've been on the outside looking in, I want to apologize to you as Christians if we've done anything to make you feel like you're on the outside. If it's because of the church that you felt that way, I'm so sorry. It's not a representation of who my Jesus is. It's not a representation of who Jesus was. And I get that picture of him hanging up on the cross and he's saying it is finished. But his arms are outstretched. And I think the one thing he would say to you if you're on the outside is you are so welcome here. I want you to join me. I want you to walk with me. I'm inviting you in. See, there's a man named Kanye West who just wrote an album. It's a Christian album. And too many of us on the inside are looking at him like he's on the outside. But there are no sides. Just Jesus' side. And so we welcome him. And the beauty, the beautiful thing about this and why I'm talking to you about this is because anyone and everyone gets the right to Jesus Christ. And so we welcome you into that. And the beauty, the beautiful part of the Great Commission is anyone and everyone gets to preach the gospel to you. If we've ostracized you, if we've pushed you away, I'm so sorry, but today we want to invite you in. And we're not perfect. We're not perfect. But we'll do better. You could bow your head. You could close your eyes. This morning, I want to just invite both groups, groups who have felt like they're on the outside, groups who have felt like they've created lines and called themselves the insider. I want to invite both groups to have a come to Jesus moment. I think of that song, All to Jesus I Surrender. 
All to him I freely give. All to Jesus I surrender. That we would have a moment this morning for both outsiders and insiders to come to the, to the side that Jesus stood on that said, my side is the entire human side. It's a message of love and compassion. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand up in the air? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, hands everywhere. Lift your hand up. Would you just pray with me? You could pray out loud. You could pray quietly. You could pray in your heart. Just repeat after me. God, I invite you in today. I invite you to be Lord of my life. To be Savior of my life. To teach me how to love, how to have compassion. In Jesus' name, amen.